Guys, welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. This is Austin, your host for the ad space today. And if this is your first time tuning in to the Fieldcraft Podcast, let me be the first to welcome you. We're excited to have you here and we appreciate your support, but we're more excited to bring you into the network and the community of the prepared. I'm here to talk to you about our sponsors. And our first sponsor is Triarch Systems. If you're not familiar with Triarch Systems, they are the premier weapon system in the country and, in my opinion, the world. Uh, I've been really fortunate enough to use these guns in filming content and in training in gunfighter carbine and pistol uh, all over the country. And I know that training gang have been using Triarch and using them and abusing them, and they keep coming back for more. These guns just keep going and going and going. And if you're not tapped in, you need to go to triarchsystems.com, use code FIELDCRAFT, one word, and it'll save you 5% on your next build at triarchsystems.com. Next up are friends at Kafaru. Kafaru makes the best backpacking equipment, uh, the best gear for the outdoorsman. And honestly, I mean, if you're into doing anything outside, you will find what you need, and not only what you need, but the best of what you need at kafaru.net. Everything from backpacks, sleep systems, tents, stoves, all those things, you can find it, and it will honestly be the best equipment that you ever use. I guarantee that. I've been using their equipment for some time now, overjoyed with how well it continues to work for me. The strength, the durability, and the longevity that I've gotten out of this gear is honestly second to none. So go over to kafaru.net, use code FIELDCRAFT, and it will save you 5% on their website on your next purchase. Next up is Hardhead Veterans. If you've ever worn a helmet for an extended period of time, particularly a ballistic rated helmet, then you know the toll that it takes and the fatigue that you feel after a long day in that thing. So Hardhead Veterans has been doing it right for a long time. And as veterans themselves, they understand the need and they understand why it has to be exactly right. They make an NIJ 3A rated helmet with additional up armor options that safely stops 5.56 and 7.62 by 3.9. And it has a 10-year warranty on all their products. No BS customer service. You won't find any better out there with free exchanges and returns and a multi-layer pad system to improve the comfortability. So head over to hardheadveterans.com, use code FIELDCRAFT, and it'll save you 15 bucks on your purchase at hardheadveterans.com. In the podcast today, Mike G sat down with the legendary Tony Blauer and talked about the spear system that Tony developed many moons ago and how it should tie into your preparedness. Uh, we were fortunate to have Tony out a few weeks ago and have hold a seminar as well as a training class Super, super interesting stuff. So I know you guys will get a lot from this podcast. So here you go, folks. Mike G and Tony Blauer. Tony, thanks for coming out, man. Dude, I am beyond excited to be here. So uh, have you ever been in Heber City? No, sir. Really? No. Have you ever been outside the state of uh, San Diego? I, I, I actually was uh, released. I'm actually not supposed to travel across state Why do you have lines. that thing on your ankle right, right there? <laughs> no. Um, I've actually taught in Salt Lake uh, before. I don't even remember how long ago. It might have been 10, 12 years ago. And uh, I just remember eating at, it was funny, I was walking in Parkview and I was going, 
I'm going, I can't remember the bar that I ate at, but they had these buffalo burgers and I can't remember the bar. And then we walk by and we see No Name Bar, which was funny because the name is No Name. No and, Name. Yeah, and I couldn't remember it. So their marketing works great. But I, I can't remember why I was here, when I was here, excited to get back. But dude, I've said this to you a bunch of times when we've talked before. I'm such a huge fan of yours and, appreciate and, them, and Kevin and George and the whole team and what you guys are doing. And uh, I'm, I think I'm more excited to be here to teach on your stage than anyone in the audience is to hear my crap. Oh, no, man. It's, it's when we put out the word that you were coming, um, because I, I advertised it inside of classes and said, hey, you know, all the locals here, if you guys are interested in coming out, please come. And Heber City is only 30,000 people, not a, not a lot of people. But all the people from Salt Lake City and the surrounding area, they started gravitating towards it because, look, not a lot of opportunities with uh, the last year of restrictions right. for people to get outside, train, and um, travel even to get to places. And some of that stuff's freeing up, and now we have access. And to get access to you and all your expertise, um, I think that's what this brand has evolved into is just a conduit where I'm not – I mean, I'm not an expert. You are the expert. I, I'm a guy who's a – a jack of all trades kind of guy. I'm, I'm mediocre at best at many things, but you're the expert because you have a sole focus and bringing guys like you in and, and uh, having the ability to to communicate and then to work with, put hands on people right. uh, is really impactful, man. So I just want to say thank you for coming out. No, I, I, you know, another, another area that impresses me about the, the field craft mission and everything is what you've done is assembled all of these SME subject matter experts uh, and other people too it I just I just did a, a post while I was uh, you know hanging out enjoying the weather here uh, and I I said like you know responsibility what is what responsibility if you spell with a hyphen it's responsibility your ability to respond and and in a any dangerous situation whether it's uh, survival you know, out in the woods, it's medical, self-defense. You don't have time to dial 911. You're yeah. the first responder in your confrontation. And, you know, so, and I love your, you know, the whole, you know, we the prepared. And so the question was, are you? And, and, what, is, and what is your blind spot? And that happens in self-defense. That happens in anywhere. You're only looking at, at, you know, your, like an incestuous point of view. If I only follow this guy, I only look at this guy. So what you guys are doing on top of all the other stuff is, is that you're truly bringing together uh people to help make people more prepared it's yeah. amazing it's I, I think it's the one thing that we can agree that we can get along with no matter what your background you know political you know anything that you could come to the table with preparedness is that one thing that can unite us and i like that because the culture that i've seen whether it's you know people who are more liberal coming out of oregon washington and california to you know right leaning people out of texas and they could be on the same stage. They could be training together right. with this common ideal that, hey, I'm, I'm here to protect my family and, and, my, and myself, and that's important. Um, one thing that's interesting and how we'll kind of you know, segue into this conversation is the industry as a whole, and you've identified this, has a problem, and it's a void. And the tactical space especially, right? You have a whole bunch of companies, a whole bunch of good people training which is one element it's not their fault on their expertise which is shooting gunfighting um all of these things where you've already made the decision to use deadly force how can i teach you to shoot paper steel 
more effectively, more efficiently to translate into, you know, a self-defense fighting tactic, This, in this case a gun, with no real holistic approach to what else you got beyond that. And and I know why people say, hey, this is a mill LEO consideration because, you know, you pick up the carbine, like what are the odds, what are the statistics for that guy to pick up that carbine? You take a civilian, you take a pistol, the misunderstanding or, or lack of information and in how to address people with your mind and your hands, understanding your fear responses, neurological responses, physiological responses, and you have no tactics. Mm. You have a blank spot. And people have been sleeping on this forever, and you've been doing it forever. And you're, the, you're that um, gap filler, for lack of better terminology, to fill that void where everybody asks me, like, hey, Mike, but what about this whole thing before we do that? I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I'm not the subject matter expert. I could make some shit up right now. Right. Uh, I could tell you some of the philosophies that Tony Blair has taught me over the years, but it, that's the SME. And so um, what's your take on that? Why, why is it that way? It, it's weird. It's something that we talk about all the time, me and my, uh, my, my team. And, and in fact, so here I am 43 years into teaching, and I just taught – a, uh, you know, I teach every week live on, on, on Zoom. And I said to the group just this week, so uh, FYI, I'm, it's my birthday Sunday and I'm, I'm here you yes. know, teaching. And, and, I, and I say that because I want people to know how old I am with respect to the answer I'm gonna give you. Turning 61, been, been teaching wow. for 43 years. And this week, the last class that I taught before I hit the airport, uh, Wednesday on, on Wednesday morning, I said to the group, and there's a couple hundred people on, on this program, I said, if any of you have any ideas how I can better explain what I do, I still haven't figured out how to market it, right? And so to answer yeah. that, that metaphysical level to your question is, is people, like it's, it's the echo chamber thing. Everyone thinks all martial arts are the same, or all self-defense is the same, or all shooting's the same, or all, there's, there's a level of that, and I'm, and I'm exaggerating, obviously, just to make this cartoony point, where at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's like, you know, someone going, uh, I, I gotta lose weight, what should I do? Oh, you gotta go on a diet, and then you start looking for diet books. At the end of the day, unless you've got a medical disorder, it's, you're eating too many calories if you're overweight. Too much in, that's not all. enough out. Yeah. That's, that's all, so, but, to, to go back to some of the, the, the more strategic, uh, tactical, psychological answers, in 1993, 93 or 95, as at this American Society of Law Enforcement Trainers Conference, this famous cop, Bob Willis, uh, was there. He's watching me. I don't know him yet. He, he wrote, and all the cops who follow you will, will, will know this. There's two encyclopedic books uh, for the police market called uh, The Tactical Edge and, uh, and Street Survival. And they're like literally like Encyclopedia Britannica size. And he was one of the, he's the co-author along with Gary Klugowitz. So he's watching me teach and I'm doing a weapon protection uh, block with all these cops. And I'm making them use their actual guns that were made safe and, and obviously clear and triple and not red guns, not blue guns. Two of the cops sat out in the class. They wouldn't do it. Everyone else, I said, listen, if you're afraid to work on a weapon retention gun where you physically, visually have inspected that there's there's zero rounds around here yeah. and you're afraid 
are you, how are you going to handle the gunfight or somebody trying to take your gun, which was the scenario? Somebody, like a mental block. Right? And, but it's because of the unconscious bias, the conditioning, Mike, of uh, never use your gun here in training. If you look at, you, you remember the old, they call it speed rock, right? Where you would, you'd bring your support hand into your, into your body, uh, grab your shirt or index it on the sternum, and then angle back, right? And you probably were taught some of that. I, I look at stuff, and this is the whole, the whole point of bringing up Bob Willis, as he watched me teach this class and, and tell them, and I said this to you on one of our shows, like in an active shooter situation, you have like thousands of people around the world go, that's why I carry, that's why I carry, that's why I carry. And I always make the, the joke, and it's, and it's just to be provocative. Unless your gun is duct taped to your hand, if you're in an extreme close quarter shooting, your gun isn't anywhere near your hand when you flinch. So immediate action happens after you recalibrate from the start of flinch. And that could be downrange or that could be in a parking lot. When, when, when we flinch, our hands come up to protect our head. You then need to recognize the fear spike and what it's done at a physiological level. And a lot of people, and here's what I'm so excited about tonight's class, a lot of people think when we talk about fear that they're talking about being scared. There's a physiological response to fear. Sympathetic uh, changes it from your parasympathetic. Uh, vertical breathing, which affects you know, how your brain is getting its oxygen, where your hands or body might go. Um, these are uh, kinesthetic changes. There's, these can influence kinesthetic changes in your body. Well, that is going to change where your round goes if you're shooting. Right, so uh, you know, you, you you teach shooting. You've got new shooters that anticipate recoil. Where does the round go? But if I peel the onion, it's their fear of the bang. It's their fear of the the, the tactile sensation. They just haven't stress inoculated to it. So Willis, I tell nineteen stories at once as you're. It's okay. Tracking, right? I love the context. Yeah, the the so Willis says to me after the class, he goes, "Holy shit! You teach the two seconds before the fight. Everyone else teaches." And I love that. And wow. I carried that with since 1993 or 95, he said that to me. And I tried to explain to people like, all fights are dangerous, but if you don't weather the ambush, you don't get to the move you practiced. Wow. Cool, right? I love that, the two seconds before, before. the fight. And, and it, but now it's getting people to understand what that means. And so over the years, uh, starting in, like I started scenario-based training in 1980. This is before Redman was developed. This is before, well, Redman might have been like, a, like I think just coming out then. But our approach was inspired by, a, I was 20 years old at the time. One of my students got his ass kicked. And while he was telling me what happened, I, I make this joke, it was like the God of self-defense hit me with a lightning bolt. And I went, oh my God, we teach self-defense wrong. Now here I am, a 20-year-old kid, speaking for, the, how grandiose is this? Speaking for the world of self-defense. <laughs> And there was, that was the actual sentence. We teach self-defense wrong. And what I meant was, we, and I, there was no such thing as brain-based training and block-based training and understanding modernization of the, neuro, the neuron and all this stuff back then. But I realized that if I teach you how to block and kick and punch and grapple, and that's block-based training. What we're doing is we're developing a cognitive complex motor skill. And then we say, oh, if a guy grabs your gun, do this inverted J. If a guy grabs your gun, kick him here, drive here. Nobody's asking, how did the guy grab your gun? What were the circumstances? Who grabs your gun? If somebody you trust grabbed your gun, your immediate action changes because you're going this, wait a minute, this is a betrayal. This is a breach of, and one of the questions I ask people is really provocative, and you gotta see faces when I do this. Maybe I'll do it Saturday. Um, 
But I'll go, how many of you could drop your mother in a fight? And people are like, what did you just say? You can see this visceral. Emotional. I, yeah. Response, yeah. I go, how many of you would, could punch your mom in the throat? Shoot her. And people are like, you can see them getting comfortable. I go, do you know that, that statistically mass murders are committed by family members, people you know? That's a statistic. And there was one story I remember reading. I was, I was out in Quantico, and they have a bookstore that's a little bit different than Barnes and & Noble's. And, uh, and one of the books they had was on all these like mass murder, serial killer stuff. And I remember reading them all. And it's just the way my brain works. They would tell the story. There was this one story about this crazy uncle came down and killed his entire family on mm -hmm. Thanksgiving. And everyone sitting around the table was shot in the face and the, and the torso. He was sitting at the table with them. Well, he walked, he walked out of the room. They're all, you know, you want oh, some yeah. gravy, you want some this. He came back in with, with two pistols and just shot everybody. And he killed a seven or eight-year-old girl. And in the story, they go, look, this is crazy. So-and-so, he did this, he did this. And it's really just anecdotal stories and how they tracked them and how they caught them and all that. When I would read them, and this was just me being afraid of being afraid, so my connection to fear is I thought I was the only one in the world that had fear. So I was obsessed with, and I was a good athlete. I could do it. I could play any sport, but I was like, why am I afraid to win? Why am I afraid to lose? Why am I afraid of this hill? Why am I afraid of, of this competition? And it, and it bothered me so much that I, I created this system called no fear, K-N-O-W. So it doesn't eradicate fear. It just says, I can now change my relationship with fear because I can have a conversation about why it's why this happened to me and what are some things that I can do. It's, and it's no different than uh, I want to lose weight. What do I need to do? Well, eat less, work out more. It's really simple. So in this story, in this mass murder story, I'm reading it and it goes on. And then we caught the guy, blah, blah, blah. But I'm reading it and I'm going, the, the thing that jumped out at me was this a seven or eight year old girl who was shot in the back. And they were just describing forensically and my brain goes, why was she shot in the back? And they describe it, uh, a girl, they found her like eight feet away from the table, trying to get out the back door, shot in the back. And my brain does this, Mike. I went, can I swear on the show? Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. cool. I said, why the fuck did the seven-year-old try to get away? How come no adults moved? Like they described literally everybody sitting there, like facing the stuffing dead, back in the back of the chair dead nobody got up because everybody in the moment that crazy uncle bob or whatever his name and came in and said you know thanks happy thanksgiving everybody bang 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 that everyone sat there in disbelief and i and in our system we go that's the emotional psychological impact the first place we are hit in a violent encounter is our emotional psychological system so we come back full circle all fights are dangerous the most dangerous fight is the ambush because there's no preparedness there's no if like if you're ambushed on a mission you know you're on a mission you still have a psychological glitch that you got to convert but super different than it, yeah. yeah but and you're trained and you're there and you've done your immediate action stuff like this so i thought it was interesting that only the seven year or eight year old girl recognized something was off right like like so we talk about left to bang and 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 head on a swivel how did only this little kid try to get away and no adult tried to get up and stop this guy or run out of the house so I would read things and see things and, and, and I would look at it and I'd go, listen, I love jujitsu. I love Krav Maga. I love boxing. I love, you know, and I'm just saying this to be a politician. I love all, I love all, I love all guns. I love all, all knives. I love my whole thing. Uh, we're, we're, we're looking at some, uh, uh, training this morning and it's one of my affiliates in, in Europe. 
was very interesting. He had three balloons. Uh, uh, I think it was a groin, gut, neck, three balloons, and a target. Live fire. The guy's standing there like this. He gets called. Range is hot. And the guy draws across his body, pulls out a knife, ice picks all three balloons, spins, and then comes over the top, draws his weapon, engages another balloon with a shot. And at first glance, like it's fast, it's clean. And a lot of times on Instagram, like people go, wow, this guy's really good. And I'm going, yeah, that probably wasn't his first rep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, Choreograph. you know, yeah. um, but you know, it's fast and it's dynamic. And I look at that and I, and, and my thing is this, and I'm going to like, when, when people train with me, they'll get messages from me at three in the morning. Like if I see something and I'm going, mm, what's this? And I go like, that's a great demo of complex motor skills. But if you had a threat at 12 o'clock and a threat at six o'clock, and one guy was close enough to stab in the throat, why would you reach across your body, grab a knife, stab three times, spin around, have this complex motor skill, re-engage the other threat? There's way more explosive, violent things that you can do that would have more structural integrity to keep you in the fight than that. In other words, a lot of times we get sucked into the, the you know, the shiny ball. We see something cool. Yeah. We start to, and then we try to figure out. So everything we do is what's the scenario? What is the closest weapon to the closest target? In other words, why are we practicing this now? Now, if you can say, uh, it, it was a cool exercise. I wanted to try and see if I could do it. I, I'm okay with that if yeah. you can explain that. But if you're creating, there's no such thing as muscle memory. There's, there's neural uh, uh, patterns. Our brain, uh, you know, uh, links up stuff. So it's crazy. I'm off. I'm off on a crazy tangent here. I started this whole thing, and I told 19 stories over a 30-year period of that speed rock of grabbing your shirt. If I, if you had a, 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 a gun on you, and I don't want to find out if you do. I'm guessing you mm -hmm. you might have a weapon on you. But if I jumped across the table right now, and I tried to bite your nose off like a fucking zombie, and you had to contact shoot me. So you'd have a retention position and you'd cant your weapon so you don't drag your shirt into the slide. You've worked all of that out. Where would your support hand be if I literally was on top of you at a physiological level? Where would you have your support hand? Like up, up in the air. Up and pushing yeah, away the pushing danger, away. fingers played outside 90. But for, if you're a cop for 10 years or you're doing shooting for 10 years, you're neurologically training your support hand to come in so that you don't accidentally shoot your elbow or your pinky during this retention training. So this is mind boggling. You've done your, you know, the 10,000 hours, 10,000 reps metaphor. You've done 10,000 reps creating a program that if a person was trying to, somebody grabbed you, headbutted you and said, I gotta fucking kill you and they're on top of you. You have a, a neural pattern that says that the, your body's airbag response, that biological airbag to push away danger, you've trained it to not deploy because someone 30 years ago shot their pinky or their thumb during a retention exercise on the line. In other words, that position is a range safety protocol. Yeah. Institutional protocol. Right. Yeah. And there's a ton of that where, and this comes back full circle, believe it or not, if this makes sense to your original question of why do people start their confrontation management here and don't see like that that bigger picture the couple of seconds before that and i think whether somebody likes me or not or whether they like the spear and understand fingers played outside 90 if if you do your research and you dig in 
what we've really created is an algorithm formula where you drop your concepts in and the system helps you figure out is my why correct is is my mo correct and then pressure test that through a socratic approach uh that's a that's a crawl walk run protocol so that you go oh i was getting really good at the wrong thing okay all right guys we're gonna interrupt the podcast one more time and talk to you about another sponsor and that is element it's a drink mix that's taken over the world you can get those valuable electrolytes back after fasting working out it'll help you fight the keto flu those carb cravings and kickstart your day in the morning to fight that mid-morning grogginess that we get Element has zero sugar, zero artificial ingredients, and zero coloring. Many professional leagues and athletes from the NBA, NFL, as well as some uh, athletes from the USA weightlifting team uh, have all switched over to using Element and are loving it. Element is offering the Fieldcraft Survival podcast listeners a special opportunity to try Element for free. Using our link down in the show notes, Element will send you sample pack that includes eight packets of assorted flavors. All you, all you pay is shipping, which is around five bucks or so here in the U.S. Don't miss this offer, guys. It's totally risk-free. And if you do end up buying some and changing your mind, you can return it, no questions asked. They're proud of their no BS customer service that you get with a lot of other organizations. But we've all tried Element here at the company, and we've been using it for a while. And I promise you guys, it's worth checking out back to the podcast see what what blows my mind is like what you just explained is the problems and flaws that we continue to do again and again right it's like that whole definition of being crazy or being uh, 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 psychologically insane right um, when when I look at things now that I've been in the tactical space and teaching for so long I have these aha moments all the time. I mean, par- partially because you've embedded in my mind this approach to training and evolving and understanding. Um, m- maybe even a seed planted early on in my career that I, that I've kind of followed, where I didn't fall in love with tactics. You know, I had, I've always said. I remember the you know, I was a, a manner of the commanders in extremist force, and I was a new guy. I just went to Safartech, which is our CQB schoolhouse which, you know, is a prerequisite for that CQB hostage rescue life. And I was in the hallway, and we were talking about uh, opposing threats and moving or maneuvering into a hallway. And we had this concept called free-flow CQB, and its origins are in, in 2005, 2006, 2007, hitting houses in CQB in Iraq. You didn't have – you couldn't navigate a doctrinal CQB where you didn't have the principles of – speed surprise and violence of action where you lost maybe all of those where you couldn't just do doctrinal two-man entries three-man entries four-man entries painting the walls and saying clear it just didn't work that way so you had a free flow you had to adapt and i remember having a conversation with one of the older senior members who looked at me like i was a child and i I was uh, only a couple combat rotations under my belt but i said this this is kind of what they taught us in school like a new way of thinking and he goes, that's not how we do it here. And I was like, yeah, but you're not open to the conversation. And I was at the point in my, probably in my life as a whole, I wasn't one to stand down against something principally that I believed in. So I argued with him and I got in trouble for it. But I said to myself, walking away from that conversation, 
oh, this is the rigidity of the institution that's going to mm-hmm. uh, cause a fatal flaw. And, and I see it in law enforcement. I see it in military operations. And I've always said, especially in the tactical discussion framework, it should be an open forum for discussion. Because if we're evolving ourselves through different ideas, then we're learning in real time. Correct. Right? And we're testing and experimenting. And the experiment shouldn't be warfare where somebody dies. It should be right here in the shoot house where we have a simple conversation. And some institutions can't, can't do that. They, just, they, don't, they, they fail to adapt because they're too rigid and doctrinal. And I've noticed about you is this um, way that you teach is based on the realities that nobody wants to face. Um, where did that all stem from, like personally? I mean, I know you've seen it and, and the light bulb comes off, but how, how are you seeing it? I, I, on, I've never been asked that. I, I, I don't, I don't, it's the first time I'm at a loss of words. I'll take a pause and celebrate that. <laughs> Usually I'll just go on and on and on. I don't know why I, I always looked at this stuff. It was almost like I always had like this, this, this detached awareness where I'm going, why are you saying this? Why are you doing this? What are you, what are you doing now? Um, even, even to this day, and, and listen, when I teach the fear management now, I talk about fear management is actually about self-awareness because you can only have clarity and critical thinking if you have good self-awareness. Otherwise, it's like, why did you do that? Why did you shoot him? Why didn't you run? Why didn't you do? How come you didn't say that? Why didn't you assert yourself? Uh, now, all these years later, if you could go back in time, you would probably ha- you would probably handle that same confrontation with that tra- that 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 uh, trainer at thirty seven, it was range thirty seven, right? Because I did a lot of stuff there yeah. with with those with those guys, and I was just while you were saying it, I was trying to remember the names because I spent yeah. a lot of time there, and. Uh, the uh, so some of the guys that brought me in had the mindset of you, but it was a trainer who, for and I'm not going to say like ego power tripping, but just locked and rigid, and and so when I peel an onion, I go, well, well how do I get my trainers to be open minded and more like to, like I use language. I wrote an article in 1993 called The Theory of Presumed Compliance, and I described myself like an archaeologist. I go, I'm an archaeologist. I'm like, I'm digging, and I go, oh, look at this. And then I go, where does this fit? Oh, oh, this is obsolete, but I discovered it. I, like, I mean, I, I dug for it. And it's not just, it's not just um, you know, trying to invent something new. I'm, I'm trying to understand why we're here and what we're doing. And it's it's... I often don't know where some of these ideas come from, but my self-awareness says this is true, and this is like you did, this is the sword I'll die on. I'm gonna get in trouble, I'm gonna say this, I gotta voice that. I'll give you an example. I was 13 years old, started Taekwondo. I'd wrestled before, started Taekwondo, and uh, we're in class, and I'm so excited. And the, the, the instructor, if, if, you, if you remember, at the end of all martial arts training, at the end of all martial arts training, you would do a ki at the end of, a, uh, of, of your kata, right? At the end of your form. And, and I never said kata, I would just say kata. You know, I'm, I was a Canadian at the time, American citizen now. But here's the whole thing. I'm there and all, the whole class is doing this ki-ai. And, and I never yelled ki-ai. I always mouthed it. 
but I didn't have the courage at a 13, as a 13-year-old to say to the instructor, excuse me, sir, why are we yelling before the attack? Wouldn't that alert the bad guy? At 13, I was thinking, nobody asked the question, everyone, and you would throw your reverse punch. And, but I, only, I always mouthed it because I didn't want to be the guy you know, the, the instructor going, well, how about I kick your ass and that's why you'll do it. In other words, I was seeing it differently and I was able to have the conversation in my head and I said, you know what, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ruffle feathers here. I'm getting a lot of other stuff out of this class. I'm just not gonna, I will never yell before I attack somebody because it would betray the element of surprise. But I, would, I thought that at 13 years old, right? Um, you know, when, my, when I was 15, uh, like, like many people in the 70s when Bruce Lee died, you know, everyone became Bruce Lee's biggest fan. And uh, I'm on the floor doing the splits, looking at, you know, trying to do the splits, looking at Bruce Lee magazines. And my mom comes over, she goes, hey, you're going to the family business, you're gonna be a lawyer, doctor. I looked up and I said, oh, mom, you know, school is not gonna matter that much. I'm actually, I'm gonna be, uh, I actually said to her, I'm gonna be a famous martial artist and develop my own self-defense system. Wow. And, and it's kind of obnoxious to say, I'm gonna be a famous martial artist. And, but I say that now because that kind of is what happened. Yeah, you know? I mean, Bruce Lee developed Jeet Kune Do, right? right? A hybrid of all the fatal flaws he saw in the art form versus right. the realities, that, and, and that's what you are. I mean, you're a modern day version of that. Thank you, that's a huge compliment, man. And here's the thing is, I mean, Bruce had, everyone hated him in the day, right? He, like he invented martial art haters back in the 60s. And, and, and then in the 80s and 90s when I was explaining stuff, you know, I'd have, this is ironic, his followers hating on me saying, who do you think you are, Bruce Lee? And I'd go, I'd go, why was it okay for Bruce Lee to develop something and not somebody else? And I'm inspired by him, like that old expression, you stand on the shoulders of giants. Like had he not done that, I'd have gone, uh, wow, like, you know, maybe I'd still be doing Taekwondo. Who knows, you know? Do, do you, um, I mean, it sounds like you have growing up uh, an innate ability to uh, like be aware of who you were your environments maybe that's consciousness maybe that's the combination of a, a lifestyle of uh, introspect and looking at martial arts and kind of um you know how it ties into reality even the idea of like making those behavioral changes of even disciplined behavioral changes at such a young age not normal you know most kids are eating their boogers and scratching right. their balls at, at that age. Um, when you think about, th there's an argument that's always, it's still said and relevant, and I experienced it in special operations with this idea that mixed martial arts is the translation of tactical self-defense um, against bad guys. So we would take jujitsu, and then we'd implement it into a special operations curriculum. And the next thing you know, guys are, you know, bad guys are grabbing guns and then you're dropping on your back um, and and you're locking them up with your, your ankles. Right. Um, or, hey, you know, Thai kickboxing is tactically integrated and you're trying to, you know, sweep or kick or knee when you had other options at your disposal, including your guns, right? Right. So there was, I saw a whole bunch of errors being made one of those errors, which I'll say because it's not just like I saw it from afar, I experienced it. When I was going through the Q course, they had this lines martial art, and it was designed by a, a former combatives guy for the U.S. Marine Corps, 
Sure, Ron Don Vito. Don Vito. And a lot of respect for him as a as a martial artist and his discipline. But I went through the instructor course, or went through the course and training and then the instructor course to make me an instructor to teach eventually when I got to my team, all my teammates. And I saw a whole bunch of integrated flaws in the entire system because I realized we were develop, developing you know, that, uh, that connection you talk about, that neural connection right. of like grab, twist, pull with this idea that the guy's balls are going to be hanging between his legs. I want to be able to grab his balls, twist them, and pull them. And I, I thought that was obsolete, a waste of time in the time that we were doing it. And I realized that there's nobody teaching this the proper way. And we're kind of experimenting. And when somebody says um, in a comment, which I've seen before, well, I don't see Tony Blauer in an MMA beating people's asses. I've combated and wrestled, did jiu-jitsu, and even fought professional MMA guys, trained with them. Some of them, the best guys in the world, UFC guys. Um, in fact, a, a former UFC guy works for me um, who, who's an accomplished fighter. Um, and so when I, I see that, I go, man, there is a big misunderstanding of what mm -hmm. all of this is about. Can you explain that, that confusion with combative martial arts and sports and what you're teaching in practical self-defense? Sure. Amazing, amazing question. I got so many so many so many thoughts there so i just want to say something i i don't think i know you have that thing that i had where you could look at something and go this is important and it may not be what they're doing and you may not know the answer so i would read something i remember as a single dad i i had custody of my son nikki from the time he was a month old unheard of had got full custody wow traveled around the world with him because i was doing seminars you know I, I took him to us you know australia europe i had no nanny i was just starting out cutting wow. my teeth right and i remember reading somewhere nothing affects a child's life more than a parent's unlived life wow because my mom said to me you need to change your business. You can't be on the road doing seminars if you have custody of your son. And it was almost like there was a moment where she said, why don't you let the mom raise him? And I said, well, no, no, that's not happening. I knew intuitively for this kid to grow up the way I wanted to, that that was not the right environment, which is why we weren't together. And, um, but I, what I'm talking about here is this trusting your intuition. I call it the three eyes, instincts, intuition, and intelligence. Mm -hmm. How many times in your life have you had something bad happen in, in a relationship, in business, in battle, and then afterwards you went, fuck, I knew that was going to happen? Mm. Yeah. A lot. A lot Every, yeah. Everyone has it. Yeah. Well, so I say intuition whispers in our ear, and then our fear shuts it down. And fear isn't like I'm afraid to run into a building, afraid to punch somebody, afraid to yell or assert or spend money and buy this or whatever. But... Um, this is a this is a hard one to go. What are my instincts? What are my intuition telling me? If I listen to my instincts and in, intuition, I'll probably do something intelligent. So, full circle back to your question because it was a great question. Is I could be experiencing something, and I'm always like I'm going like tonight's class is going to be the best class I ever gave. And how do you say that? How can you say that? How can you promise that? Because I expect every next class to be better than the one before. 
it's not resting on laurels or this is our template you know yesterday we spent five six hours redoing a presentation that i've done a thousand times for your group what do i want to bring and when you do that you bring a whole different like energetic presence to that it's this is fresh i just baked it yeah right yeah it's like hold on a second let me defrost the the lesson plan oh it was frozen right so so going back to your question which is kind of heavy people don't understand they 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 mistake the the trademark for the truth in 1993 i wrote an article for three magazines i was at the very first ufc i was cage side literally somebody just wow. sent me a, somebody just sent me a picture I was in, I think it was in Denver, uh, uh, the first one. Someone just sent me a picture of my ass in jeans. I was wearing cowboy boots. <laughs> it's classic. And I'm there right up against the cage taking pictures, Jeff Blatnick talking. I'm watching the whole thing. And I wrote an article after in 1993 that created so much hate and controversy and even almost some violence directed at me where I said, although the guys are really fighting, it's not the same as a real fight. And the only people that I know who really fight are the military and law enforcement. Mm. No one else is really fighting, even if they die. And I went on to explain that if you have uh, awareness, you have preparedness. And if you have awareness and preparedness, then it, you don't have the same impact to your physiological system. So the first place that you're hit physiolog is physiologically. If I say to somebody, where's, where's the first, you know, anyone been sucker punched? Yeah, where's the first place you're hit? The smart ass contrarian answer is in the face. No, if you peel the onion and you, I've talked to thousands of people over decades, everyone says, you know what, now that you mentioned it, I did think something was off. So that's the first moment, but we're not taught, we're taught head on a swivel, left to bang, but there's no deep discussion on the factors, the black box factor of intuition. Mm. So, so I wrote that article and, and, and this explains your original question, why do we have this compartmentalization of this is better, this is better, this is better. If I said to you like, hey, what's the best gun for a fight? The only answer is who are you? Where are you fighting? Our default answer, which your audience will know by, on, by two hours in on Saturday, is the only right answer is what is the scenario? If I give you, Mike, right here, hey, I had a custom-made engraved Barrett, and I give it to you. It's 35 pounds, right? It's long and it's big. And I do this, I do this demo sometimes in classes. I go, what would you rather have? A Barrett? You can only have one or the other. A Barrett or a Swiss Army knife? And I go, answer quickly. And like all the operator guys, give me the Barrett. So I walk over in the room. I go, here, take it from me. And they go like this. And as they grab it, Mike, I simulate opening a knife and stabbing them in the throat. I go, you don't want to bear it if you're cheating at a poker game in the Old West. Yeah. You need the Derringer on your sleeve like James West, right? So when we understand, oh, Jiu-Jitsu's the answer. Krav's the answer. Pressure point control's the answer. Bow and arrow's the answer. Knife's the answer. It's not, those are just extensions of your body. But if you can't solve the problem because you're impacted emotionally, psychologically first, there's lots of stories, and you've seen it, where two guys are on their gun and one guy shoots and one guy doesn't and the, the rules of engagement 
were understood by both. They had the same equipment, same training, same unit. Why did one guy move and one guy didn't if it was a, a credible threat and you know immediate action was, was required? There's, it's on game day, you can't be a different tactical athlete. The only change is gonna be your mental precision and what's called mind speed. And, and, and I always make this joke because I'm a, one of the courses that I teach is about fear management, but the type A person doesn't wanna talk about fear, which is ironic because I offer, you're afraid to talk about fear, isn't that fear? Right? And, and like, I don't know, I'm not afraid of any man. I'm not afraid of anything. I'll fight anybody. And I'm like, okay, I'm not talking about that. Don't confuse your courage to do the right thing, to move into a room, to you know, do what you gotta do, say what you gotta do, with how f the physiology of fear distracts you in the moment. And that's what happens. If I said to you, you've become very, very comfortable talking in front of the camera. But if you can think back to when you first started where, oh, yeah. you know, you know, maybe you're going, hey, man, I need a break. I walk outside, take a breath, teach a class. Number one fear in the world isn't getting dragged to a secondary crime scene and raped and murdered. The public number one speaking. fear in the world, yeah, is public speaking. How, how ridiculous is that? So here, here's a, 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 a scientific answer to your question, if anyone still remembers the question, is, um, and this actually happened, and i got to be careful of... of uh, I don't even know if I should tell this story because he probably listens to your podcast, but it was an individual. It's, I'm gonna tell that's, it. That's the reason why you right? should tell Now it. I have to tell it, right? And it was an individual um, who's one of, one of the top jiu-jitsu guys in the world, and he happened to be in a class I was giving for a, a custom course I was giving for a tier one uh, uh, organization. And I'm being vague and cryptic, obviously. And uh, at the, one of the final, uh, uh, scenarios was op four in our high gear suit and the movement was you know in a line did six guys come up long gun guys simulating hands up right uh, I was about to make a political joke there but I'm, I, I, I bit my tongue right guys role players like okay man but he's a bad guy and you come in you muzzle strike him in the sternum he goes down, you start to sling your M4, and you go to grab him because you're, the assumption in the scenarios, if you hit somebody and you drop him, you're gonna go flex time. He's your, he's your bad guy, you touched him. Boom, you hit him, but as he goes down, he charges you with a, not a jiu-jitsu tackle, not a wrestling tackle, a shitty fucking tackle. So we're very, we have a whole program called Be a Good Bad Guy. Don't be a good martial artist. Martial, somebody asked me recently, it was, this was great, uh, they asked me, um, how would a fight go between you and somebody like a martial artist like this? I go, I would, if that person was that skilled of a martial artist, we would never fight because our job is teaching people to be safe. Why would we ever get into a fight? That's stupid, yeah, right? Yeah. But anyways, that's a whole other topic. So here it is, muzzle strike to the chest, the guy, the role player goes over and then He's watching because he's got gear on, right? He's not really hurt. When the, the M4 gets slung and you go to grab the guy to drive him to the ground, you tackle him. And in that moment, that's when you deploy the spear. So, so there's a sudden, what we call a jack-in-the-box moment, and you suddenly realize, oh, this startle flinch of push away danger and the kinetic chain of pushing away danger, that's my personal airbag deploying. That is the fastest thing I can do. It's the fastest thing I can do if I'm... Uh, Cognitively, cognitively aware, it's the fast thing I could do if I'm surprised. Because if you're surprised, 
the airbag, the flinch will happen. So what we did, the, the uh, and I say the genius of the spear system, and I'm not calling myself a genius, I'm talking about the human weapon system, is your situational awareness is a conscious cognitive skill. That means you need to know that you're looking for something. If you're looking at your phone, if you're listening to a, a, a show, if you're looking somewhere else, that's where we get suckered, that's where we get distracted. So situational awareness is truly a conscious skill, looking for that anomaly, what's wrong with that? If we get surprised, it's because our cognitive situational awareness was compromised. And now our survival system kicks in. Our survival system says, hey, dumbass, let me take over here. And that's your startle flinch. And people, people want to argue with that. I go, this is like, this is a DNA level survival reflex that you're born with. So why not learn how to weaponize it? It's like buying like an old muscle car, fixing it up, but never installing an airbag. If some fucker drives into you and you needed that airbag, you got a problem. Doesn't matter. And I always tell people, I use this metaphor that how important is situation awareness in life? It's everything. And then your skill. So in this car driving metaphor, your car is your body, your physique. I'm in good shape. I'm fast. I'm strong. I've got torque. Rotational force. And your skill of what you'll do, I'm going to turn left. I'm going to hit the brakes. I'm going to pull a donut. I'm going to, that's your, your skill set. Can people who are really good drivers get into car accidents and have they? Yes, because of a drunk driver, because of somebody not being in it. So in other words, in a violent car accident, and the metaphor here is the attack, the sudden attack. In a violent car accident, neither your situation awareness or your driving skill mattered. Hmm. And if it was violent enough, what mattered was whether your airbag deployed. Interesting. Neat, eh? Yeah. So you and I are talking, you're sitting here with your arms crossed, you go, that was good, and all of a sudden I go, and I jump across the table. You're not getting your gun out and shooting me. Yeah. You need to weather the ambush, get control of me, get control of yourself, and then go, do I need to shoot this guy? Because the force must parallel danger. Everything we do should have a moral, ethical, legal you know, uh, uh, parallel, you know, uh, connotation. So here I am, if you guys are tracking, you guys, my middle name is Tangent, my, uh, Tony the Tangent, right? And so here we are at this military uh, uh, location, training these guys, and this guest there that was auditing the class, world-class jiu-jitsu. And muzzle strike happens, sling the weapon, grab the guy, and they're supposed to spear. As soon as they spear and drive the guy away, they're gonna grab their pistol, immediately decide if they gotta shoot this guy, scan for opposing threats, then continue driving the guy down. So you, we teach people how to weaponize the start of flinch and then continue into your cuffing ritual, whatever you're gonna do. This guy, in the first iteration, as the guy goes to tackle, pulls a guillotine. Guillotine's the guy. Guy, you can see him like. Mm. Then he transitions into the spear, very smooth. Does it in about like a, like a second. It's like up, crank, pass the arm, half spear, grabs his gun. So I see that, and I walk over to him. I go, "Hey, that's really cool. I know you're amazing at jujitsu, but I want you to do the spear. Understand that adding that extra move adds an extra second. And this is like, this is not a lone operator thing. And even if it was, I need you on your." Your, your secondary, your backup gun, ASAP. I don't want you doing, you're adding an extra second to the transition. So he looks at me earnestly and goes, okay, cool, got it. I go back, I'm watching, everyone does it again, he does the guillotine again. And I'm thinking, and I usually have in a class, and I hope we don't have any out here, but I usually have one contrarian in the class. He goes, well, why can't I do this? 
And I would say, you can do whatever you want, provided it doesn't change the outcome of the fight. But you'll only find out if it changes the outcome after the fight. So do you want to be sooner or do you want to be later in a fight? Do you want to be more efficient or less efficient? It's up to you. Do what you want. You paid for the seminar. And then I would say, tell you what, when I go to your seminar, oh, you don't have any? Okay, but when I do, I'll do what you teach and I'll weigh and consider that and see if it adds value, right? So um, that's usually when I'm cranky, I say shit like that. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. He does it again. So I send my assistant, that guy sitting over there, and I go, hey, dude, go talk to him because I'm a little irritated that he's doing the guillotine. And I see him talking. And usually when somebody is trying to slip in their stuff because of ego, and, and it's, again, it's a lack of self-awareness. I'm just going to do this. Um, and I'm sure you've had that on gun courses yeah. where a guy wants to do this. And you're going, hey, like, like why don't you practice this? And you're going, oh, okay, this is in our system, you know. Yeah. Um, so, but I see, and this is very interesting, I see the guy trying to understand usually when there's a contrarian you see a little defiance in their body like posturing yeah, yeah. and uh so i'm like curious this little why isn't he like arms crossed going yeah okay i'll do your silly spear but just so I, on the record the guillotine would have worked too <laughs> and i'm not picking that up so i'm noticing and this is the self-awareness piece as the lead instructor why am i getting angry but this guy isn't agitated there's something off there they do the next iteration and he does the guillotine again and then it occurred to me i was just in the middle of a book the talent code which i now tell everyone to read and it's a book that explains the myelinization of neurons and it's he's interviewing all these coaches from cello uh, like a, a music instructor teaching the cello uh to soccer to tennis to all over the world uh, i think the guy's name is daniel Coyne, um who wrote the book talent code but I was in the middle of it, so I hadn't fully formulated my thoughts, but it crystallized right then. This guy had been doing jiu-jitsu for 20 years and had competed on the world stage. And when somebody changed elevation, his neural patterns, not his muscle memory, his neural patterns and all his instincts and all his movement was to change his elevation, catch the head or pull guard. He had been doing spear for four days. This is the fifth day of scenarios. He'd been doing spear for five days, minus the lectures. He'd been doing spear for two days. He'd maybe done 172 reps versus 20 years. And in that moment, I got goosebumps right now. In that moment, I realized he didn't even know he was doing the guillotine. Just like if you're in a gunfight, Mike, and you've got auditory exclusion and tunnel vision because your survival system is, is, is put you into a, a state called tacky psyche where everything's moving so fast it appears in slow motion and your gun jams and you clear it and, you, and then you remember after, oh, my gun jam. You don't, you don't even remember and people say, well, that's muscle memory because you practice it. No, I tell people if you have no awareness, you have no chance. If you didn't know you were in a gunfight, you wouldn't clear your jam. It's all the training coming together and staying in the moment. In that moment, that guy didn't know that when that elevation change, that he came out, grabbed the head, and then he remembered, oh, I'm supposed to do the spear. Then he did the transition, which was like, like a malfunction for a stovepipe, right? Just clearing that, and then he, and I realized he didn't know it, and that was cool. I still had to explain to the group after why you wanna wean that, and this comes back to your original question, is how do we get people to understand what is it we do? It's a formula, it's an algorithm to go, you know, 
efficient, efficiency is getting the job done right. Effectiveness is getting the, the right job done. And you can be effective, but if I come visit you in the hospital and you're in a body cast and you can't talk, and I go, hey man, I, I heard you had a really bad fight last night and you with a crayon, right? You should see the other guy. I go, oh, you won, you were effective, good, but you weren't very efficient. In other words, I'm always looking for what is the fastest way you know, you talk about, you know, uh, speed, violence of action. Violence loves speed. And violence doesn't care what martial art you study. <laughs> Mind blown right now. <laughs> um, man. Um, wow. That was awesome. Tony, thank, thank you. you for that. Um, so it, when, you, when you look at, uh, like, what your evolution is, what does progression for Tony Blower look like? You know, as your birthday is this Sunday, you have, um, I mean, I mean, when we were kids, 60s was like elderly hospice, oh my God. assisted living. Right. <laughs> um, but, but now, I mean, it, it's crazy to me because even at my age, my 40s, I go, dude, I, don't, I remember people in their 40s and it seemed like they were over the hill. Like right. they're just waiting and counting the days. But, you got so much life ahead of you, and I know you always evolve. You look to evolve and change. Do you have any significant plans in that progression uh, that you can share with us? All right, guys, we're going to interrupt the podcast for just a second and talk to you about our sponsor, Manscaped. Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. That's right. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners for the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast, and it takes off 20% plus free shipping with the code FIELDCRAFT at manscaped.com. Manscaped hooked us up with a bunch of tools, and it was from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit. Uh, so I got to tell you, I'm pretty impressed. Um, I've had a, a few, more than one really bad experience just trying to use a razor. And I'm sure you can guess what a bad experience is like when you are doing it grooming down below. But with Manscaped, it has saved all of that uh, with their ceramic blades to reduce the grooming accidents Thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology, I now feel a lot more confident shaving the boys. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code FIELDCRAFT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code FIELDCRAFT. You'll see the link in the show notes below. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Back to the podcast. Yeah, uh, I think I interviewed you early on in the, during the pandemic, and uh, and I said I made a, a joke that wasn't very funny. I said I wish I had prepared for the pandemic before the pandemic, mm. right? Which is part of your whole message and your yeah. company's message, and it's part of that yeah, well, responsibility, yeah. right? And um, uh, I realized in the last year that if there was some catastrophic event in the government how weird are times right now, yeah. um, uh, that I'm not as set up to take care of my family and the people closest to me as, as, as I want. And, and uh, so it's looking at the business in that area. Are, 
who are the people I want to learn from? Who are the people I want to get closer to? Who are the people that if shit went south really fast, you know, would I call you? And would you answer? Uh, who are those people where where we can enhance each other's resilience? Mm. So that's that's really you know what I want. And then obviously you know I, in, when when I'm coaching people in business stuff, I go, listen, you can have a goal and a vision. My vision when I was 20, I got asked by a venture capitalist. I didn't even know what venture capital was in 1980. Uh, I was teaching this this uh, this guy's um, kid who's a real estate mogul in Montreal where I used to live. And he goes, you know, you got this X factor. I said, I took martial arts. He says, they didn't teach like this. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to introduce you to a, a VC friend of mine. I go, okay, like, what? VC? Is that like vice president? What's, what's VC? Kong. He goes, right. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, oh, it's venture capital. I'm like, okay, it's another stupid question. What's venture capital? You just go to the meeting. And this guy asked me, what do you want to do? I was 20. I said, I want to help make the world safer. Hmm. That's still what I want to do. How do I do that? Well, it's, it's, it's coming here. Yeah. Right. And, and introducing, uh, uh, you, you know, our, our system to a whole different, uh, community. And so it's, it's that it's continuing on the mission, but also uh, finding ways to, uh, inspire myself and the people I care about more resilience at the end of the day. I mean, you, you peel that onion, you go to my task list, what I should put on my calendar. This resilience is like, it's connected to adaptive courage and resilience and adaptive courage is what it keeps you fricking uh, young and it's inspiring people. I remember uh, three questions that I heard uh, this uh, uh, performance coach, uh, I think his name was Wayne, Wayne Dyer. He said, if you didn't know where you lived and you looked at all the places in the world that you could possibly live, where would you want to live and why aren't you there? Question number two, if you didn't know what you did and you looked at all the different jobs and things you could do in the world, what would you want to do and why aren't you doing that? Third question, if you looked in the mirror and you didn't know how old you were, how old would you think you were? Hmm. All self-awareness. Right. And, but yeah. you look at that and how many people do you meet go, yeah, I'd love to do that, but I can't because I got this shitty wife or shitty husband or shitty yeah. job or, or so, but how do you get out of that rut? It's all fucking fear management, man. It's understanding how to change your relationship with fear. I believe if you change your relationship with fear, you change your life. I have fears every single day, you know? But the fact that I, I create this, this, this kind of, it's almost like a strip map in my mind. It goes, well, why did your physiology change when you got that email? What was that about? Are you prepared for this meeting? Are you prepared for it if they say no? Are you prepared for it if they say yes? And all of that creates this self-awareness so that you go into your next day or week or year of your life going, ah, it's just better self-awareness creates better critical thinking. Better critical thinking means you're making better decisions. Love it. Love it. I feel like, uh, you know, I grew up reading Kung Fu magazines. Okay, me too. What's the evolution of that? Where, where we work, working, like I know it's kind of kind of this. Maybe it's this, right? Right. Um, I mean, it needs to be a Philcraft magazine with you on the cover. <laughs> um, a centerfold with no clothes on. We just let Philcraft hat over my groin. That's it. I like that idea. I dig it. I like that. I, it's really cool, man, uh, Tony. I, it's it's surreal too talking to you because I, I mean I grew up with you in special operations, but man everything you say is timeless because it's it's 
so relevant to everybody's life. And I think about today, you know, the No Fear seminar today and the class tomorrow. And, um, you know, I knew for a fact it was going to fill up and that it was going to be no issues filling up. And I see all that opportunity and all those people um, that come here with an open mind and they learn that. And it's like the reach and engagement idea. You're reaching and engaging new people who are influencing, uh, most often in our network, their family and their friends because they're thinking about right. preparedness. And it's so impactful, man. It's so needed and so uh, desired. And I'm glad you're the solution for it. Uh, you know, a lot of people have been like, hey, man, you need to get on board this bandwagon of this new tactic and technique. Man, I'm like, dude, I've seen it all. I've been in every damn bar fight, every combative scenario you could be in in a house, uh, in war. I've seen it all. And the only one that works is Tony Blowers. I could tell you right now, Dude, one thousand. That means so much to me. It's the only one. It's and I, listen, I I feel like I got to qualify that because I, I like I don't want ninjas to come murder me in my hotel room tonight, <laughs> um, and I hate fighting ninjas because they're invisible. And uh, but the the what I'm teaching people is how to tap into what makes you a human weapon. I'm not teaching somebody to fight a complex motor skill. We figured out a way to through a whole bunch of really cool, let's call them proprietary drills now because we spent decades figuring them out, but a whole bunch of cool classical conditioning that says the worst moment in your life for a violent encounter will trigger a physiological, kinesiological shift that takes you away from the complex motor skill you practiced. For And that includes gunfights. Yeah, that's what that I teach it, in gunfights. Right? Crazy. And, and so... If people understand that, then they go, well, wait a minute, what we're actually doing at a nerdy level is, and I talk about in two moments, and you'll hear me talk about this on, on, on Saturday, there's three Ds in any confrontation, detect and avoid, defuse and de-escalate, and if push comes to shove, de defend, the three Ds. Detect is our, our self-awareness phase. Um, so even if you're an operator, even if you're a cop and you're going, you got to move towards the bad guy, your situational awareness is detect and avoid an ambush, detect and avoid stepping on the X. It's not detect and I'm going to go somewhere else now, let someone else handle it. Um, so it applies, it's just a principle and principles are, they don't waver, it's a principle. Hmm. So what can I learn about my situational awareness? Well, self-awareness influences situational awareness. Now D2, defuse and deescalate. It could be hey listen if you don't drop the weapon and come out here here's what's going to happen next because there's like 12 guys outside and they're going to come in here or uh any situation how do i defuse and de-escalate but you got to defuse and de-escalate yourself because when something goes outside our comfort zone our brain starts to go oh shit you know did i bring enough ammo where's the team i called for backup they're not here yet oh sh holy shit where are the kids like fear, you know yeah. and fear kicks in and so and I'm going to talk about this tonight in, in detail, but fear management is actually time management. That the longer I stay in the fear loop, the more time I'm eating up. And if I've got uh, imminent moving to immediate problems, again, like I said earlier, violence doesn't care what martial art you study. It doesn't care whether you're Republican or liberal. Violence doesn't care if you're a senior citizen or, you know, I'm not ready, right? And that's, the, that's one of the things when you ask me about combat sports, the, the issue, and, I, and, and part of what I wanted to say with that, that, that uh, um, military example is this individual, it, his neural patterns had been so trained 
that the queuing, he couldn't separate the CQB scenario from any other scenario. That his brain just saw elevation change, guillotine or guard. So what we've done is figured out, and when you talked about that our stuff seemed to be the only stuff that, that worked, well, a lot of people are gonna hate me because of that, even though I didn't say that, because they're gonna go, well, what about MMA? And what about this? And what about that? I look at all those systems as complex motor skills, and here's where I'm going with this, is with the SPEAR system, which stands for Spontaneous Protection Enabling Accelerated Response. Spontaneous protection is what your reactive brain, your survival system does when your cognitive brain has been bypassed. And if you're so stubborn that you can't go, mm, yeah, my head's always on a swivel. You're like, you're like uh, uh, the, the exorcist, your head spins. <laughs> like you're never caught off guard, right? Okay, then you're, you're a unicorn, don't come to the class. But other people get surprised and we flinch. What are you gonna do? And the, the time between stimulus response, what's called refractory delay, the gap time, if I can shorten that time, I recalibrate. So what we're actually teaching in a spear, a full-on class, is how to get our cognitive brain to accept what our reactive brain will do, and then dance together and yeah. get back in the fight. And and it's and it's and it's an elegant experience, but it's not like it's like already in you. The the resources are in you. I'm not like going, well, you gotta study with me for like ten years and get this and and it's just there. So it's it's uh it's me helping you discover your human weapon systemness. So I love it, man. I remember I told you this before, but the, one of the guys that I first killed in Iraq uh, had five rotations there as a special operations guy. But the first time was on a raid, and we landed on the X, and the guy was behind a door, and he was an armed guy behind a door hiding. And my flinch response, because my gun was retracted, because we we're taught to retract and then use our you know non-dominant hand to open up whatever it is, so we could address an immediate threat with a shooting response or solution. And I remember flinching, but not ever being taught this, flinching, and my flinch was flicking down the selector switch, you know, mm. the action of down goes from safe to semi and snatching the trigger in one action, mm. which was my oh shit moment, but it happened to be breaking that shot in the the, the back end of the oh shit, right? So my body's in one position, I retract back, click boom, mm -hmm. and then and then you know fall in love with the sound, a click boom, 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 boom. Right. And then realizing afterwards, uh, you know, I've, I've, I remember the first paper target and CQB training that I ever shot was behind a, a door and, and they put a paper target on a cardboard backer behind the door and they, and it was, and it was, so it was like a two inch wedge and I opened the door and there's a target and I'm like, oh shit. Mm. And then in the critique, the guy's like, you should never be surprised by things that are hiding behind other things. Mm. And I went, well, I didn't realize that there were paper thin human beings on the planet. Right. Um, I obviously assumed there would be nothing behind an inch full of door. Um, but it, it drove it home for me that I needed to have a response. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't clearing the door with my gun you know, dangling off my body and lackadaisically opening the door. I need to have something there. Sure. And so the flinch for me, which I teach now on the mm -hmm. range because of that response, I even reference you in uh, much of my training, is that you're going to flinch anyway. The, the, the question isn't whether you're going to do it or not. The question is what solution do you have when you do? And that's why I think in the translation of self-defense tactics with hands, 
it's applicable to all kinds of things. Like even the, the race car driver who's driving and he has a flinch response because something happens. And, and maybe he's conditioned, maybe he's not. But we all know like when you try to take over tools, in, in this case a vehicle, and think you have control, you, it, you haven't come to the realization because you haven't made the mistake that you have no control. And then when you put those variables and inputs into tools like guns, like steering wheels that, that run cars, you over control the tool and don't allow it to do its job. And we think we have that control and we don't. And then you overcorrect, you come off the other side, you overcorrect the other way, and then you lawn dart into a tree or right. oncoming traffic, which kills most people right. most often in car accidents. Oh, that so was good, man. But, it, but it's, but it's, it's, it's your intuition back in the day was, let's just think of how many, how many uh, soldiers and uh, people from other services, because they had a, uh, an instructor and then it might not have been an instructor who is like, like egotistical. This is my, but they were just like the good soldier. No, this is the way you're taught. This is where you got to do it. Yeah. If you want to get a check in the box, you got to do this. And then you end up like creating that neural pattern to do that. How many people were compromised because what ends up happening in the same way I say violence doesn't care what martial arts you study, the start of flinch doesn't either. Mm. Right. Mm. We had, there was one guy, um, I can mention him now he's retired. Did you ever know or meet Joe Vega? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. So, sure. jo so Joe, highly respected guy. So Joe was the combatives instructor for asymmetric warfare when they brought me in and I trained those guys for over a decade yeah. and uh, tier one operators. Yeah, and, and, and we did, uh, they used, and I can say this now because the, the, the I think the unit is disbanding, uh, but their whole outcomes based training, uh, system was inspired by our approach to scenario design, mm -hmm. which was hugely flattering. They brought us in, we, we trained their trainers, we did pre-deployment gigs for them. Uh, uh, and, but, Joe, you know, he's quite a monster of a man. Oh, yeah. Huge. Yeah. You're big. Known to be yeah. crushing dudes. Right? Yeah. So he's sitting in the first class. And like, like if, if I sat on Joe's lap, for people just from perspective, if I sat on, on Joe Vega's lap, you would think that he was a ventriloquist. I would look like a little <laughs> fucking puppet. On He's a big, big man. So he's sitting there, and I'm walking in, and, and the, the, my point of contact that set up the, the first gig is they go, hey, you're gonna meet Joe Vega, he's in charge of combatives here. And he's kind of the guy, like, he's gonna assess this class and decide if we should go forward. And I'm like looking around, and all of a sudden, like, there's, there's, it's almost like if like a bunch of Priuses were parked beside each other, and then there was like a like a Hummer, right? In terms of like looking at us. And I'm thinking, please God, let please don't let that be Joe Vega. Because my first thought when I saw him was, this guy's gonna get up and say, demo that on me. And and so, and that's why I tell people, like, I got a fear spike. I'm five foot eight. I'm like, you remember the original Roadhouse? Yeah, yeah. I, I get people looking at me going, I thought he'd be bigger, right? You know, that, that line from Roadhouse, right? And, and that's maybe a good movie I should make people watch. Like, it wasn't about how good a fighter Patrick Swayze was. It was about his philosophy. Those, those who go looking for trouble are not quite as prepared as those who are waiting for trouble. Mm -hmm. and, and, and just people who have assessed the scenario. My point about Joe is, and, and you made me think about it when you talked about that first shooting, is uh, he's sitting there like this the whole time, arms crossed, and I'm like, oh, please. And I'm like, I'm like juggling, I'm pulling rabbits out of a hat, I'm telling him, I'm trying to get him to like me so he doesn't kill me, right? <laughs> and uh, he's sitting there, finally on Wednesday, he has a breakthrough. 
And I'm saying it's not that you want to flinch. It's that if you do, because even though you're amazing and you don't, because people are like, the first time they hear this, they're like, uh, and I've had a lot of really experienced people go, why are you teaching people to flinch? I go, I'm not. I'm teaching them to weaponize the flinch. Nobody wants to fucking flinch. I don't want to flinch. If you're, you open a shed to go get something and you walk into a spider web and you go, oh, fuck, and you start doing this, you don't look cool. If somebody's taking a picture of you and put that on the cover of Fear Management magazine, like you'd look like an idiot, right? You, like you're, you're pulling cobwebs or spiderwebs out of your mouth. So I'm explaining and I'm talking. I go, hey, guys, and, and I shared this with you once before. You go into a shoot house and you see all these SIM UTM rounds. It's always above the corner of the doors. Why would trained shooters, are, are your role players giraffes? Why is everyone missing a headshot? It's because they're flinching. When the, you flinch, the hands come up. So even if you've got a sling weapon or a pistol, if I charge you and trigger a flinch, that 10-foot shot is now at 11, 12, 13 feet. So I'm doing everything to explain this. And then all of a sudden, Vega, who hasn't said a word, goes like this. He looks at his arm and he goes, shit. And everyone looks at him because he's the guy. And I go, do you have a question? He goes, he says, I was shot through the arm at, and I think it was in Mogadishu. He said, where we were taking fire and my hands came up as I felt like, like rounds go by my helmet. And I realized that even though my immediate action was, you know, get offline, return fire, that my hands came up and that round went through my forearm. And then he talked about another incident where he got sucked into a, and I hope I'm not confusing Joe with somebody else. I think it was Joe. But this one he told, he, um, he got sucked into a stairwell by himself and he's clearing the stairwell up as one of the bad guys comes down. And it's both like when you open the door at the same time, you see each other. And he said, he had the drop on me. And I remember closing my eyes as I pulled the trigger because I thought I was getting shot in the face. And I ended up shooting him in the face. But I never talked about this. And he said, I never, he said, this is, and this is like at the time, we, this is maybe 10 years, 10, 11 years ago. So it was like 11 years after the incident. He goes, I've never spoken to this because everyone came into the stairway, the stairwell after, and they see this guy with a face shot on a stairwell shot. And they're going, holy shit, Joe, amazing shooting. And they're patting me on the back. He said, I never said anything because I was aiming at his torso. I was never aiming at his face. And I just realized that what I did is when I flinched up because of the sling, it drove like a funnel. It drove my gun straight up. So the sternum shot became a head shot because of the start of flinch because he good. And this is kind of what you're talking about is you've integrated the start of flinch. You're now taking a reactive response and marrying it to a complex motor skill. Hmm. And that's the system. Man, but it's fun to know why it works, right? And it changes your, it changes your passion. Even if in your class you go, I'm not going to get into nerdy stuff with the class, but it changes your your aura because you go, there's science behind this. This isn't yeah. just goofy shit. I always teach, I always teach from science-based neurological approaches, and that for me is a couple minutes prior to defining the why because people. Why are we doing this? Well, let me tell you why. And, right. uh, a lot of the times, leveraging my own experiences, but often uh, others, and then 
backing it up with subject matter experts like you and you know the the extensive knowledge and experience that you have over the years that that's a perfect marrying of tactics to me because just shooting choreographed paper and still that's easy to do anybody could do that right um just as you work out or build any technical skill set the difference is thinking through problems um is what we need to be doing married with technical solutions um tony where can people find all the great stuff that you're putting out uh, all over? I know you're doing more Zooms. How can people sign up for all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so we've got a website with kind of our, our, our I guess, most popular and easy ways to like kind of like, I'd like a sample. I don't want to go all in yet. So if they go to uh, info.tonyblower.com, uh, there's a page that, you know, I would tell people start with, I, I, I have this nine-page uh, PDF called Making Friends with Fear. And... Uh, you know, I've had people say, like, why didn't you write it like longer? I go, because most people aren't going to read it. It's nine pages, but it took me 43 years to write that nine pages. Mm. It's it's a really simple overview on how I look at fear. And then on that page are diff- different options. Like I've got a, a program called the Garage Gym, which are there's three diff- there's uh, public safety professionals uh, can jump in. We've got a class for them on Friday, and then I teach four times a week. So, you know, you can join that for a couple of months and, and take it for a spin and go, oh, you know, this is interesting or this doesn't resonate with me, I'm out. So it's it's subscription-based. And then, of course, we do stuff, you know, we just ran, uh, I got a mobile training team and I, we just ran four courses, two of them sold out for uh, law enforcement uh, all around the country, uh, you know, as, as, as things change and, and open up. But so if you're listening to this and you're, you know, uh, 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 corporate security or your, your family, we do, we do. I've had families say, "Hey, come in and and, and train my family." And we've had, uh, uh, you know, them come and I'll bring in a bunch of instructors and do something in a home environment, well, like everything. So it's like, go to that page. You can access me from there. If you're, you want to learn more about, I guess, like all the companies th- that I run and that I've built, from our high gear scenario stuff to the scenario training, go to BlowerTrainingSystems.com. BlowerTrainingSystems.com. Yeah, last name Blower, B-L-A-U-E-R, systems.com. And you're on Instagram as well, right? I'm on I'm on Instagram. Got a, a lot of haters on Instagram when I, 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 I post some some really what I think are very funny, and then people announce that they're not following me anymore. I saw I, that. And I get very upset. I usually, I usually when someone announces that they're not going to follow me, I, I, I try to plead with them to come back. Yeah. And then... And then usually I won't post for a day as I, I recover. I figured you were doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I saw that's yeah. why the 12 hours in between posts. And I right. was like, oh, I was Tony's, sad. he's sad again. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe they do that. Man. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I, I love what you do, man. And um, it sounds weird saying I'm proud to know you because um, you're, you're my senior in many ways. And uh, I, I, I look forward to looking up to you more and learning from you and uh, seeing where this – evolves because we got a whole bunch of things going on together and um i love it man thank you so much for taking the time and uh the energy to be here to train to podcast to do all the stuff and sharing your knowledge and experience with everybody i I appreciate it man and 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 you know the feelings are are mutual i don't i don't my 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 back my my neck and my shoulders feel 61 but my brain doesn't and and i just i look at you as a guy that i'm also proud to know and and excited to learn from you so thank you i want to f- i want to feel like a young tony blower <laughs> and sometimes when i get affirmation from you it, it feels good man because i'm like 
man, if I'm on that train and it could be where you're at when I'm your age, um, that's a good path to be on. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much, Tony. Thanks, buddy.